MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. Today, former Trump org CFO Alan Weisselberg's attorney tells the court they're expecting more indictments. Pelosi and Schumer are going to tie the debt ceiling vote to a stopgap spending bill. Pfizer says its COVID vaccine is safe for kids aged 5 to 11. And the Senate parliamentarian rejects the Democrats' bid to include immigration reform in the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation infrastructure package. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, how's it going? I'm good, my friend. How are you on this beautiful Tuesday? Tuesday, Monday, we're recording Tuesday in your ears. It's very confusing, people. I don't know how I keep my sanity. <laughs> Time travel. It's real. It is. I, I'm, I'm doing all right. It's, uh, you know, Mondays are busy. We've got a couple of shows, different shows that uh, that we do on, on Mondays. So it's it's a hectic Monday and there's a lot of news today that we had to leave some out. And we're going to be talking about some of those stories tomorrow. Later in the show, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Kristen Anderson. She's the author of Raged, Rattled and Wronged. It's all about MAGA privilege and entitlement and how Trump is uh, the symptom of a, of a larger problem. Oh, yeah. A lot of what we talk about in the, in the Mary Trump Book Club, episode two of which is available now since Sunday. You can find it by searching for the MSW Book Club wherever you get your pods. And uh, yeah, so we just have whew, a ton of news to get to today. So how about we hit the hot notes? Hot notes. All right. The lead story today comes from the Weisselberg hearing that happened this morning to schedule his trial in the 15 count indictment against him and the Trump organization. But this is just for him. This is, of course, the indictments brought by the Manhattan District Attorney, Cy Vance. Prosecutors have discovered a tranche of evidence in the basement of a co-conspirator in the Trump organization tax fraud case. Huh. <laughs> this is according to a defense lawyer for indicted CFO Weisselberg, which he revealed in court on Monday, with the attorney also signaling that more shoes are yet to drop in New York's ongoing investigation. Quote, we have strong reason to believe there could be other indictments coming. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Weiselberg's lawyer, Brian Scarlatos. And Scarlatos also referenced a private conversation that Weiselberg, along with his defense lawyers and prosecutors, had with the judge before proceedings began and were, before they were open to the public, revealing that prosecutors had discovered tax documents related to the Trump organization in the basement of an unnamed co-conspirator. Was there pizza there, too? Or was it was it a pizza place? <laughs> Is everything projection? I like, mean, seriously. Everything? Now, it's unclear to what co-conspirator they're talking about, because there's many. <laughs> but, but, but according to two sources close to the investigation, prosecutors have been more closely scrutinizing Matthew Calamari, a Trump bodyguard who rose through the ranks to become the company's chief operating officer. Uh, others have theorized that it could be Jeff McConney, the company controller who has long served as Weisselberg's deputy and who has already testified before the grand jury. I Means he has immunity, right? At Monday's hearing, Weisselberg's lawyers tried to push back an eventual trial. They're pushing back the trial, asking for significantly more time to review what they determined to be more than three million documents that have been identified as evidence in this case. The state judge presiding over the case, Juan Marchan, agreed to slow down the pace of the court case and tentatively scheduled a trial for sometime in August or September of next year, right before the midterms, which hmm. is fine by me. I'll take it. Uh, I do get to tell a little bit of good news today, which is nice. Pfizer and Biotech said Monday that the company's two-dose COVID-19 vaccine was safe and showed a robust antibody response in children ages 5 to 11. So, yes, based on data collected in a trial that included more than 2,000 children, Pfizer and its German partner, Biotech, said in a press release that the vaccine was safe, well-tolerated, and showed robust neutralizing antibody responses. For this age group, the 5 to 11, there are no COVID vaccines that have yet been authorized or approved for use in children under 12. Now, the children in the trial were given two smaller doses of the vaccine that those uh, given to people 12 and older that's according to the release. The company said that it produced antibody responses and side effects in children that were comparable to those seen in a study of people 16 to 25 who received the full dose of the vaccine. Now, 
If anyone's confused, when we say side effects, we're not talking about making menages, friends, cousins, swollen balls. We're talking about the fever and the aches and those things that actual people experienced, they consider side effects. Yeah, the sore arm, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah, this is really, really good news, especially for parents who (laughs) really want to inoculate their kids, but haven't been able to, especially in places where they're banning mask mandates in schools like Florida and Texas, although many schools have bucked that, bucked those mandates. And many, many school districts have said, yeah, you know, we're requiring masks anyway. It's still just got to be a relief to have that extra safety. And I think Dr. Fauci came out a little bit later and said that those should be available by Halloween for the kids 5 to 11. In other news, House and Senate Democrats on Monday unveiled a measure that would fund the government through December while staving off a potential default on U.S. debts into next year. And this sets up a last minute scramble ahead of a key fiscal deadline on Capitol Hill. The plan could face immediate political headwinds because Republicans have pledged to vote against an increase in the country's borrowing limit, even if it's attached to a measure preventing a shutdown, part of a broader GOP effort to scuttle Biden's economic agenda. As they presented their plan, Democrats on Monday once again sounded dire warnings about the consequences of failure, which they said could destabilize global markets, shutter critical federal services during a pandemic, and hold back assistance to millions of Americans in the aftermath of storms that battered the Gulf Coast and parts of the eastern seaboard. They urged Republicans to join them in adopting the measure, arguing that the debt ceiling helps cover prior spending, including the roughly $900 billion coronavirus relief package approved by both parties last year, the one that the Republicans didn't vote for but went out and bragged Oh, yeah. About. That, yep. Yeah. So this move sets up a, a sprint on Capitol Hill over a deadline-laden next few weeks. It's going to get interesting. Congress must fund the government before October 1st or critical federal services will shut down, and lawmakers must address the debt ceiling before an unspecified time next month when the U.S. Treasury expects to run out of cash, or they'll risk an unprecedented fiscal and economic calamity, like we did when Trump had the government shut down. The debates have taken on additional political significance at a time when Democrats simultaneously seek to move two major spending packages through that, you know, fulfill Biden's agenda. That's the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure plan and the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation proposal. And, you know, that one addresses other things besides just roads and bridges. That one addresses federal education, immigration, health care and tax laws. The future of those packages is similarly hang in the balance in the days ahead since House Democrats gave themselves a loose end of September deadline to adopt that spending despite their growing internal divides. Most immediate urgent task concerns government funding. Congress has till the end of September to ratify the new spending agreement or else lawmakers risk a shutdown in the middle of a pandemic, no less. Democrats, like I said, unveiled their plan Monday, started the process by which they hope to bring it to the House floor this week. Their proposal would fund federal operations until December, at which point lawmakers would have to enact another stopgap or pass a series of appropriations bills that fund the government into the following year. During the Trump years, of course, Republicans voted to raise the debt ceiling every single time. So, anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, the deficit only matters when there's a Democrat in office. You know that, A.G. Yeah. And the debt ceiling. Yeah. And the, this is to pay past bills. This isn't to like raise it so we can spend more. Mm-hmm. This is to pay the bills we've already said we were going to pay, you know, we've already incurred. Yeah. Now, A.G., this next story makes me a little angry just because I'm annoyed by this whole situation. The Senate parliamentarian has decided not to allow Democrats to include a path to citizenship. For 8 million immigrants in the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation infrastructure package. Now, that includes DACA recipients. So the the party, uh, we, hoped the immigration changes would cover dreamers brought to the U.S. as children, people affected by conflicts or natural disasters in their home countries, farm workers, and other essential workers. And there are a lot of them. The decision from Senate parliamentarian Elizabeth McDonough deals a setback to reform advocates who have long pushed for Congress to grant legal status to millions of undocumented immigrants who live and work in the United States and pay more taxes than the former guy. Okay. Than Elon Musk. Yeah. yeah and Elon Musk. I pay more in taxes. You pay more taxes in 2018 than Elon Musk did. <laughs> Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, <laughs> tongue twister, said he is, quote, deeply disappointed by the ruling. Now, instead of overruling or firing the parliamentarian, like Republicans did in 2001. They did that back then to get Bush's tax cuts passed. The Democrats are going to narrow the scope of the immigration reform and try again. And that's the part that makes me angry. Mm, Yeah, my guess is they'll just try it with DACA. Yeah. 
and and see what she says. I, w- I wish they just overrule her and put it in the bill. Yeah. But I doubt Mansion and Cinema would even vote for it anyhow, really. No, no kidding. So even if they over the, uh, it, the way that I see it is they think steps ahead. Right. So imagine Kamala fires her or they overrule her. They get it in the bill and then they can't get the bill passed anyway. And now they've fired the parliamentarian. <laughs> like that, you know, that's kind of what I figured is probably happening. All right. Well, we'll be right back with Dr. Kristen Anderson. She's the author of the book Raged, Rattled and Wrong. We're going to have discussions about privilege and entitlement amongst the MAGA crowd and how, uh, you know, like I said at the top of the show, Dana Trump is a symptom of a much larger problem. So everybody stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of The Beans is brought to you by Toodaloo, the most satisfying and best-tasting trail mix I've ever had, and it's fun to say. Say goodbye to boring, bland trail mix made with chemicals that harm your health and the environment. Did you know that most trail mixes are filled with processed sugars, which are bad for you, and dirty nuts that are roasted in toxic refined oils like canola, palm, and soybean oil, which is bad for the environment? But not Toodaloo. Toodaloo is the world's first all-natural, totally delicious, climate-friendly trail mix packed with plant protein, superfoods, and adaptogens like lion's mane, ashwagandha, and reishi to support your body and mind. Toodaloo is available in five different flavors, chocolate, maple brittle, coffee, barbecue, and hot and spicy. In each flavor, there are ancient herbs that promote specific functions in your body, such as better skin or better gut health. My favorite flavor right now is Smoke Show. I can't get enough of it. It has 42 grams of plant protein per bag. It's also low in carbs, and it supports energy flow to get you through the day. Toodaloo is grain-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, dairy-free. It has no processed sugars, and their packaging is plastic neutral. And Toodaloo regenerates 100 square feet of polluted farmland back to rich, fertile soil for every order placed. Nutritious food for you and a cleaner planet for us all. We've got a special offer for you. You get $5 off your first order of Toodaloo. Just visit the best URL in the history of the world, toodaloo.com slash beans. That's toodaloo, T-O-O-D-A-L-O-O dot com slash beans. And Toodaloo's so confident that you'll love it, your purchase will be backed by a 100% best taste guarantee. This will definitely become your favorite snack. Seriously, it's amazing. So visit toodaloo.com slash beans to try it today. And today's show is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. There are some things in life I like to choose myself, so I know I've got the one that's best for me, like when I order a dish from a restaurant that I've chosen. What if you could do the same for hiring? You could choose your ideal candidate before they even apply. That's where ZipRecruiter's Invite to Apply comes in. It gives you, as the hiring manager, the power to pick your favorites from top candidates. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com dailybeans. By posting a job on ZipRecruiter, you get access to millions of job seekers across more than 100 of the top job sites. And according to ZipRecruiter internal data, jobs where employees invite candidates to apply first get two and a half times as many candidates. ZipRecruiter's technology is so effective, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. One more time, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Everybody, welcome back. I am honored to be joined today by the author of the book, Enraged, Rattled, and Wronged. Please welcome Dr. Kristen Anderson. Hello, how are you? Hi, Allison. Great to be here. I'm fine. Great. I'm so excited to talk to you because, I mean, we've had so many discussions surrounding this topic. And finally, I feel like somebody's put it into succinct and important words on a page that we can understand. So uh, before we get into the the content and the context of w- of what's in the book, tell me about your process. What what made you want to write the book and how did it start? So my interest and my academic expertise is in prejudice and discrimination, particularly subtle prejudice, implicit bias, you know, all that. And so I've written two previous books on more or less on subtle forms of prejudice. One of them was just on the kind of general topic of like implicit bias, how it manifests, et cetera. And then the second one was that kind of that topic, but looking at anti-feminism and backlash. And in both of those books, even though the first one was written in 2009, I kept coming to entitlement. I kept coming to that as a key factor in backlash, a key factor to resistance to change. And so it was just time. I wrote a little bit about entitlement in each of those books. 
And, you know, given the the Tea Party and, you know, post uh, George W. Bush and certainly the presidency of Barack Obama and their reactions to him, it just made like perfect sense to devote an entire book to the topic of entitlement. Yeah. And we see a lot of entitlement when, I mean, you know, these videos go viral on uh, the internet. We, 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 we call them Karens right. or, you know, people who have, who explode in public over masks or, or vaccines. Uh, COVID especially has kind of borne out this idea of entitlement. We see people on planes who, who, it feels like they think they have the right to fly on an airline, like it's in the Constitution, <laughs> like these aren't privately owned companies. But it only applies to when they want it to apply to them, which I think is where the bias, implicit bias and prejudice comes in. For example, we, you know, we don't want you to be you can't force me to bake a gay cake. Yeah. But I have to wear a mask when I come into your store. Hell no. So it seems to only apply to their own sort of contrived feelings about what is correct and what is incorrect. And what freedom, the the luxury of this hyperbolic, ridiculous sense of freedom, and then the privilege to over-respond. I mean, they lose their minds, you know, at least as we see in, in the viral videos, like their righteousness has no, no bounds. And, and that's, that's just such an entitled kind of worldview. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, when we look at situations, mass traumatic events like COVID or the insurrection, for example, I think there were studies done that show most of the insurrectionists are 35 to 50 year old white men from blue towns, blue cities, democratic cities who have this intense fear of becoming the minority the great replacement they, they you know as 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 it were and and i feel like this sort of is subsumed in the idea that enraged rattled and wrong sort of brings about so could you talk about that and talk a little bit about how we ended up with trump because he's mo- he's more of a a symptom than the disease do you know what yeah. i mean yeah definitely so you know, you you remember right after the 2016 election, the media was running around to uh, diners and bars talking to plaid shirted blue collar workers asking, you know, why they voted for Trump. But what we found out a little bit later is that, you know, income, socioeconomic status, income of Clinton and Trump voters really was not different. In fact, Trump voters had a little bit higher incomes than Clinton voters. And the big difference was education level that we kind of know now that Clinton voters or Clinton produced, you know, higher education voters. So the economic argument for Trump was found to be bankrupt. So then what is the issue if it's not economics? Well, it's race. It's the fear of replacement. And we're talking about people who have been the cultural default for centuries. And that includes you know, working class white people. So, so you might be working class, you might be working your butt off, your boss might be mean to you, your wife might yell at you, but you still have cultural power because whiteness, maleness, heterosexuality is cultural power. And so those folks come to feel entitled to a worldview that makes sense to them. And any disruption of that is extremely emotional for them. And so that's kind of what I'm really interested in. You know, many of us have talked about and written about power and we've, you know, written about privilege and unearned advantage and those things, you know, obviously are really powerful, but I'm particularly, and and this is probably because I'm a psychologist, I'm particularly interested in the kind of mindset of privilege, how you walk around and what you expect to have happen to you when you walk around in the world. And so this is, you know, kind of classic backlash 
And of course, it isn't a moment just in 2016, 2021. We had backlash going back to the origins of this nation and certainly after the end of you know, slavery and the backlash to reconstruction. So this is this is a pattern. And and yes, it's not gonna end with Trump. I mean, Trump is a really potent symbol of it, but if he goes away, there is this constituency that that still exists. Yeah. And and I, you know, we I've been saying that a lot of what you know, when people are like, arrest him now, get him off the streets, he's a danger, he's a menace to society. And all I can keep thinking is I worry about what's going to be left over. And I want to talk a little bit about how this kind of relates to feminism and and women, because I I put I had a tweet go viral this weekend and I the responses blew my mind. But I do have to take a quick break. We'll talk about it when we get back. Okay, is that okay? Yep. All right. Everybody stay with us. Hello, all. It's Allison for The Daily Beans. Longtime listeners already know that I am a lover of good wines. And I've got the best recommendation for you today. It's called Lathwaite's. It's the answer to getting the wines you love shipped right to your door, hassle-free. A Lathwaite's wine subscription is an easy way to bring exciting new wines right to your doorstep. Unbox a world of wine with easy access to different and unexpected winemakers from all over the globe. It would normally be so hard to get. But with Lathwaite's wine subscription, you can say goodbye to boring overpriced bottles. And hello to new wines from the hottest emerging wine regions around the world. My pick today is the Bee's Knees. It's zingy. It's thrilling. It's a South African white wine from Journey's End, which is a small family-run estate. And I love that. It's perfect for people tired of drinking the same old, same old. Lathwaite's tastes over 40,000 wines a year, but only 600 make the cut, so you enjoy the cream of the crop. Each box includes tasting notes, food pairing tips, and serving inspiration. Subscriptions are flexible, and they always have a 100% satisfaction guarantee, so there's no risk. If you don't love a wine for any reason, you just let Lathwaite's know and you'll receive a refund. Now you can get six amazing bottles of wine, plus two bonus bottles, that's eight bottles, and two stemless wine glasses, just $49.99 plus tax, and you get free delivery with it. Just text the word BEANS to 64000 to get this offer. Again, text the word BEANS to 64000. That's BEANS to 64000. Terms apply, available at lathwaites.com terms. And today's show is also brought to you by Upstart. If you dread looking at your credit card statements, you are not alone. So many of us have been living off credit cards over the pandemic. The debt can feel crippling and you're making the minimum payment and the balance doesn't go down at all. But you can pay off your debt quickly with a personal loan from Upstart. Over half a million people have used Upstart to consolidate debt, pay off credit cards and fund personal expenses with simple fixed payments. Other lenders, they only look at your credit score. But Upstart knows you're more than just a number. So they look at other stuff, too, like your income and your employment history, which means they can offer smarter rates for you with their trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between, you know, $1,000 to $50,000. And upon approval, your funds can be available as quickly as one business day. And we know a lot a lot of my personal friends this past year found themselves in a financial hole and have these credit card debts. that are just like a cloud hanging over their head. So I recommend checking out Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today and get out of that debt burden. Go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. And don't forget to use our URL to let them know they're a partner of ours and we want them to know we sent you. So that's upstart.com slash daily beans. Your loan amount will be determined based on your credit income and other certain information provided in your loan application. So head to upstart.com slash daily beans to get started today. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with Kristen Anderson. She's the author of Enraged, Rattled and Wronged. And we're talking about entitlement. And I put out a tweet because every time I drive home, if I'm driving my car and I'm on my way home, if there's anyone behind me, I circle the block and I keep circling the block until there's no one behind me because I don't want anyone to see where I park and where I live. And then I, I put that tweet out and then I asked women, what do you do as women to protect yourself? And the thousands of responses with, you know, I carry my keys in my hand. I look in my back seat. My new Subaru has a a fob that doesn't unlock all the doors. It only unlocks the driver door if you approach from the driver's side. And that, I was expecting that response. What I wasn't expecting was all the men saying, I had no idea that you have to live your life this way. And I think that when you, you know, when you said how they walk around in the world and what they, you know, feel that they're entitled to with their maleness and their cisgender and their straightness and their Christianity and their uh, like, what is that like? Their whiteness. It's 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 like that is kind of poking at the edges of it. But like, how do we get through to I mean, 
Trump, true Trump supporters, like cult level. Right. I've had Dr. Hassan on and we could talk about how to get through to cultists, but like just your average Joe, how do you get through? You know, this is never, obviously I get asked this a lot and it's always a pretty unsatisfactory answer because one of the, so you're talking about privilege, right? You're talking about like the the benefits of being a man is, you know, for, for the most part, you don't have to worry about parking in a parking structure. Don't have to worry about your drink, leaving your drink at a bar. Go to the bathroom at a bar. Now, of of course, that intersects with race and men's sexuality, of of course, in in important ways. But the the thing we know about privilege and the frustrating thing about privilege and entitlement works the same way is the privileged are the last people to know that they're privileged. They, they, They are so used to a certain way of things working they are shocked to learn anything different. And that's that's hard to penetrate because all of these folks believe that they're good people, they're decent people, they work hard, they don't have an easy life. They're not necessarily happier than non-privileged people. So it's really hard to make that connection to them. And then if when we think about entitlement, you know, entitlement is inside our head. It's it's our own sense of deservingness. It's really hard to tell people you don't deserve what you think you deserve. Your worldview is really narcissistic and self-centered. And not to mention the words privileged and prejudiced and racist. And those are triggering words. They, they immediately invoke a defensive posture. Yeah. And, and one of the things I, I thought you were going to say about the responses to your tweet is somehow going after you like, oh, you don't actually, you can choose to live your life in fear. You don't have to live like that. And I got a couple of those. I got a couple of those where they were, they're like, oh, that must suck, you know, to live your life in fear yeah, like to, that. To, yeah. To be fearful of nothing that folks. It's like, that's my walking around time. I'm not going out of my way to do these extra measures they are a habit for me now because i'm i'm a female exactly and one of the one of the things about entitlement is that it is correlated it is it overlaps a lot with narcissism and so entitled people have a kind of self-centered worldview and so if they don't have to take precautions no one does so it's totally for like, well, I don't have to carry a little pink can of pepper spray on my keychain. So why would you? And so that makes kind of penetrating that mindset all the more difficult because they're fairly egocentric. They're pretty blind to other people's struggles. And of course, that's when when they do feel disrespected, when they do feel sidelined, even when it's so trivial and so minor that's why they lose their minds because equality looks like inequality to the entitled. They think the playing field is level and everything's fine. And you start talking about feminism or critical race theory, and you're the one with the bias. Yeah. And I mean, it's such a, there's such a focus on it now. Like even you said, even the littlest things. Yeah. Now we have massive things. We have, first of all, the census, the 2020 census, which was probably fixed anyway because of, because of Donald. Mm-hmm. But it still showed the first decline of white people in the United States in 200 years. And that mixed with the insurrection, mixed with this great replacement yeah. fear, this this uh, and then you pile on with that just intrinsic fear of walking around thinking that. You pile on with the xenophobia, the caravans, the Afghan refugees, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just this, it's this, I feel like, like a time bomb. Yeah. It's kind of toxic soup. Yeah. And, and so then you see it manifest in pretty ridiculous ways, like at being asked to wear a mask. Like, and if you, if you think about it, what does it cost people to wear a mask in public? Like how much of a sacrifice is that? But run through a lens of entitlement, that is a fundamental freedom that is being disrupted somehow. I mean, it's such a hyperbolic and I should say a really emotional response from a a constituency 
that says, you know, F your feelings. I don't know if we. Yeah. F your feelings. And, and, and women are crazy and they talk too much and you have the vapors emotional and and, yeah. Hillary's a shill and a, and a, you know, yeah, we're all very, very emotional. But then you see that guy on the plane. Right. Growling and putting his mask over his eyes. And it's like, ah, but I'm too emotional to be in this business meeting with Stan from HR. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's it's kind of infuriating because, you know, it's I feel like it's this double edged sword because we know it's there. But what can we do? And there's really nothing because even the words we use to talk about it are triggering. Right. But then we're gaslit saying we're the ones who are triggered. Exactly. exactly. We're the ones that need trigger warnings. You know, I mean, I, I think for the hardcore, you know, white supremacists and Trump voters, probably this book is not speaking to them. But I think there is a kind of group in the middle that is kind of that is kind of earnestly looking for language to understand what is happening. And I hope that at least having a language of like, well, what, what does entitlement mean? We, we could talk about privilege and that matters and prejudice and power, but entitlement is this, this thing that is pretty durable and it's pretty key to backlash. And I hope at least that that gives people some kind of like concrete language to use as they talk about this and as they um, work against it. Yeah. I think we have a long road ahead of us either way. (laughs) Yeah. One of the chapters in the book is on parents and kind of raising entitled children because some, some people are entitled just because they're kind of raised as spoiled brats, independent of their social identity. But then, then other people based on their social identity are, you know, become entitled because of, privilege. But but one key factor um, that's, I think, pretty interesting to think about is a, another kind of correlate or a way of thinking that's associated with entitlement is openness to uncertainty. And entitled people are, are very not open to uncertainty. They have what, and this is actually a psychological term, they have a need for closure. Um, And that's like a whole area of psychology that's studied. And so they like the world in terms of like good guys and bad guys and black and white. They don't like nuance. You can. It's like almost histrionic. They're they're so literal and you're either very literal, you know, their rage against non-binary people or transgender people. You could see like they. They want women and men and Venus and Mars, and they don't and want rules it. and roles. And- exactly. Yeah. And so teaching people about nuance and flexibility and expansive ways of thinking would certainly kind of work against entitlement. Yeah. Kind of all boils down to education always, doesn't it? <laughs> so uh, let's keep electing Democrats because they fund education. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyway, it's been so great to talk to you. Your book is available wherever books are sold. It's called Enraged, Rattled, and Wrong. I, I highly recommend uh, you pick it up because like like you said, it's not really for the Donald Trump set, this book, but it, it does help us understand each other, yeah. I think, in ways that we hadn't thought of before. So I appreciate your time and I appreciate your book. And is there anything, any final thoughts you would like to to leave on? No, I don't, I don't think so. Awesome. Ed, where can people follow you on social media? My Twitter handle is at uh, mouthy feminist. <laughs> so I've been waiting for that whole, I've been waiting all day to ask you. <laughs> so follow me there. All right, everybody, mouthy feminist on Twitter. It's a great follow. Thanks so much, Dr. Kristen Anderson. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Allison. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Today's show is also brought to you by an amazing new podcast from Wondery. On September 11th, 2001, 60 amateur sailors were at sea filming a reality show on an 18th century replica ship. They were weeks from land and from the nearest TV or radio. That morning, they got a single message through their one satellite phone. The message was four planes hijacked, two towers down, Pentagon attacked, thousands dead. And that was it. Not a single other piece of information for weeks. So what was it like to experience 9-11 like that in isolation? And how, how would you make sense of the radically different world you returned to? 
This is just one of the stories in 912, the new podcast series from Amazon Music and Pineapple Street Studios. In each episode of 912, the host, Dan Taberski, tells the stories of characters whose lives would never be the same after 9-11. And through them, we begin to realize that there are new lessons to be learned. And that we just might have enough distance between us and 9-11 now to make sense of some of the things we couldn't understand before. So I highly recommend you check out 912. It's the inside stories. They're compelling. They're eye-opening. And if you're interested in taking a deep dive to really learn more about 9-11, you've got to listen and subscribe to 912. Follow 912 wherever you get your podcasts, or you can binge all seven episodes right now on Amazon Music or with Wondery Plus. And the show is also brought to you by BetterHelp, a premier provider of online therapy. The counselors at BetterHelp can provide professional support no matter what you're facing. You know, I've had my experiences with PTSD and anxiety. And it, the one thing that I've learned over this entire odyssey is that it's better to seek support and assistance than to try to handle it by yourself. But I know it can be really hard to ask for help. And that's why I love BetterHelp. It's convenient and easy. Anytime from any in the, anywhere in the world, you can log onto your account and you can message your counselor and they'll send you timely, thoughtful responses. You can schedule weekly meetings over the phone or video. You don't have to wait in a crowded waiting room or drive anywhere. It's more affordable than regular counseling and financial aid's available. And changing counselors is always easy and free, so you always get the best therapeutic match. Not, not all providers do that for you. Visit BetterHelp's website and read testimonials like this one by user SA, who says, Sandy is seriously the best counselor I could ever imagine. She helps me through so much and makes me feel so comfortable. She doesn't judge and she's always in my corner. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You can join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, it's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news. It's on the way. And uh, if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, anything you want to send us, um, you can do that and pay your pod pet tax or your happy place tax or even pay tax with an adoptable pet from a shelter nearby. You can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Dana, I'm excited for the good news today. Me get. too. I do as well. Hit me with your best shot. Let's get this started. All right. I'm a real tough cookie with a long history. Yeah. But here we go with anonymous pronouns, she and her. Hello, all. I have a misheard lyric and a what the mutt. A few years ago, my mom, brother, and I were having a debate about heavy metal music during Christmas dinner. As, as one, one does. <laughs> Anyway, I ended up begrudgingly confessing to really liking one song, which led to the following sequence. Brother, what song? Me, you know, the famous one about sheep. Brother, what? Me, because Australian farmers have sheep and stuff. Brother, laughing. You need to sing me a lyric. <laughs> me. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> But this one just fucking snuck up on me. <laughs> oh, man, we needed this. Uh, you me. have to actually say this next line, which is the best part. I will. I'll do it like Angus here. Me. Dirty D's and the Dunder Sheep. Dirty D's and the Dunder Sheep. Brother, full on laughing, guffawing. Mother, quizzically, I think you mean dirty deeds done dirt cheap, dear. <laughs> I added the deer just to... Well, the fact that mother was the one yeah. that corrected this is one of my favorite parts. <laughs> this is also how dirty deeds and the dunder sheep became an unofficial Christmas carol for our family. <laughs> as, for, as for the mutt, he's an asshole, but he's my asshole. And he was blessed with a sure fit of charm rather than sense. Oh, surfeit, excuse me. Oh my goodness, very, very cute. Okay, what do we got here? I say... Beagle. La, uh, Beagle Shepherd. Beagle Shepherd, but also maybe like Bassett. Lab? Bassett Lab Beagle Shepherd. Bassett Lab Beagle Shepherd. Let's see what we got. All right. Golden Beagle. Okay. All right. Golden Retriever and Beagle. All right. All right. It's a... What would that even be called? A a a a, a bolden, a beaden, a giggle, a beagle, a giggle, a giggle. Thanks, giggle. It's a dunder sheep. That's what it is. That, there you go. That's a dunder sheep, and he's adorable. Yes, the new breed. You should put it in with the AKC. Uh, we have a new breed for you, the dunder sheep. Oh, this is an exciting post. This next one's from anonymous. No pronouns given. I've been invited for astronaut selection. What? Right? Okay, the European Space Agency is currently advertising 
for astronauts. I applied, and so did 22,588 other people. Now, I've been invited to the next round of selection. I'm ecstatic. I made it into the group they're taking seriously down to around 1,500 of us who they're flying out to assess. Even if I get no further, I feel that I've achieved something brilliant. Hell yeah, you have. Please keep up the good work. You make a real difference and you are turning the tide against autocracy. Oh, I thought that said who they're flying out their asses. That's what I... (laughs) (laughs) Instead of out to assess. Like, All right, that's an interesting place to go on your first trip. That's amazing. Congratulations, Anonymous. And um, yeah. Keep us posted. Wow. Please. I want to know. 1,500 out of 22,588. Yeah, that's a huge accomplishment. That's one of those, it's just an honor to be nominated kinds of kind of things, you know? Totally. All right. Next up from Kelly, pronoun she and her. Shit kids say. When my Nana, grandmother, was still alive, she would always tell this story. One Sunday morning, she and my Papa had taken my brother Matt and me to church I was three or four years old and my brother was six or seven. After church, we stopped at a store and my papa and brother went in to get something, leaving my Nana and I alone in the car. Nana would then go on to describe the cute little dress I was wearing and how my hair looked all done up in pigtails and the angelic look I gave her when I declared out of the blue from the back seat, Nana, I toot, but Matt fouts. (laughs) (laughs) That's the three-year-old way of saying farts. Her eyes would well up with tears of laughter every time she told that story. Almost 40 years later, the story holds true. I still toot and my brother still fouts. No pets. Hope you got a laugh out of this. Yes, I did. I didn't know that uh, that gas was gender specific. I love it. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man, I got to sing. OK, but I'm still excited. Uh, this is <laughs> this. is. Oh, man. This is from Dan from Idaho Falls. Pronounce he and him. It's a hallelujah verse for you. All right. Muller, she wrote, deserves such praise. Been listening since the kitchen days while America's former guy nearly overthrew ya. The Daily Beans and Happy News swearing filled you got us through. The Lumagati Nation sings hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. 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 I like the legumination. Right? That's nice. Wonderful. Congratulations. Dan, that's nice. That was good. I love that. We'll send it into Leonard Cohen's family. I like that one. We can add it to the... Oh my God. We're making an album. So just know that, everyone. (laughs) I don't know how this is going to work. I'm going to have to drive to San Diego. We're going to have to put the music on and get a recording studio. We're going to get cutouts of like old (laughs) cutouts of Whitney Houston and everyone else that was involved in We Are the World. And um, they'll just be cutouts behind us and we're going to sing... All of the verses. We can do, I can do Bob Dylan and Cindy Lauper. You know, I don't know if you're getting any good at impressions, but we could do it. I'll just look up some people. Melissa wrote, deserve such praise. Been listening since the kitchen days. Yeah, I think we could do it. I think we yeah. could do it. Well, America's former guy nearly overthrew you. <laughs> overthrew you. I mean, that sounds like something he would totally. sing. Totally. <laughs> that actually does sound like something he would sing. All right, finally, from Jim in Albuquerque, pronouns he and him. This is your stomping ground, 505 in the house. What up? That is great news about the VA benefits for LGBTQ veterans. It reminds me of when Obama was hemming and hawing about same-sex marriage and Biden basically shoved him into the pool by telling the media that, of course, their administration supported same-sex marriage. I still wonder what their Oval Office conversation (laughs) after that was like. Same. Mm Mm-hmm. When I heard the story, I immediately thought of one Marine in particular, whom I hope will benefit from this. In 1990, the sharpest Marine in my shop, my most proficient, charismatic, and squared-away sergeant, and a natural leader, the kind they call a recruiting poster Marine, asked to talk to me in private. I'll call him Sergeant H, out of respect for his privacy. He told me that he was gay, and that being closeted had gotten more and more painful, until he'd reached a point where he couldn't live the lie anymore. He felt he had to come out as who he really was. I was simultaneously totally surprised, impressed at his courage and integrity, and dreading for him what I knew he was about to go through. I talked through the inevitable consequences with him, and he was dreading them, but accepting that this was the path he had to take. So we went to see the captain in charge of our unit and pulled the trigger on my sergeant's decision. The captain and the rest of the chain of command reacted in the bigoted way I knew they would. The other Marines in the shop were completely shocked and surprised. None of them had any idea he was gay, but were loyal and supportive, with one exception, another sergeant, who himself was generally seen as a jerk. The command processed Sergeant H for administrative discharge 
under other than honorable conditions, despite his flawless record and stellar performance. When I had to write his final fitness report, USMC speak for performance eval, I rated him, as I had in every previous fitness report, as the best sergeant in the shop. I rated him outstanding, the highest grade across the board. And in the verbal summary, I described his contributions to our mission and the excellent example he set for junior Marines. Needless to say, this report did not go over well. My boss handed it back and and told me to rewrite it and basically ordered me to rate him as unsatisfactory on some items related to his charter and judgment. Hey, G, do you want me to take over, honey? Please. You got it. I refused to do that. I respectfully told the captain that he had the power to do that in a section he filled out as the reviewing officer, but that I was going to submit an honest report. Years later, when I was in the process of retiring... I arranged to get microfish copies of all the fitness reports I'd written. Yeah, I'm that old. Uh, So that if I ever were contacted because of any of the Marines who had worked for me needed replacement copies for promotion boards or other purposes, I would have them. You're supposed to keep them for 10 years after you retire in case they're needed, then destroy them to protect privacy for those individuals, which is what I did. They became in the mail several months after I was retired. I took them to my local library, which I could use their fiche machine to print them. When I got home and read through them, I discovered that someone had altered my report on Sergeant H after the sergeant and I had reviewed and signed it, and I had turned it in to change my ratings to unsatisfactory ones the captain had ordered me to give him. At that point, there was nothing I could do about it. I couldn't prove my report had been altered or who had done it, and I had no way to get in touch with Sergeant H. I hope that if he ever saw the altered report, he didn't think I had done that to him. God. I have thought about him many times in the years now, decades since I retired, hoping he was having a good life wherever he was and whatever he was doing. He would be getting close to 60 now, I think, if by some fluke he's listening to this. I want to encourage him to get his discharge corrected to honorable and to get the VA benefits he earned and should always have had. Fuck. Fuck. Jim, thank you as we compose ourselves. I know you've submitted a lot of times and we love hearing from you, but... This was a big one and an important one, and I'm sure a very vulnerable one for you to write. So thank you so much for taking the time to do it. And you know what? This is a wide web we have and a very big net. And you never know. You never know who's listening. So hopefully, you know what? Hopefully. Thank you so much, Jim. My God. The um, rate him unsatisfactory to his character and judgment. Yeah. I don't know if people really understand the trauma and listen, I, I can't speak directly because I was not enlisted, but I have friends and I know AG, you can speak more to this just as a, a straight person that was, you know, in the military, but the trauma that the LGBTQ military and soldiers and veterans have gone through with this stuff is heartbreaking. And I think people think that, you know, we got marriage equality, woohoo, the fight's over, we got, you know, protections federally. Woohoo, the fight's over. There's so much damage this country has done to marginalized communities from the black community to the LGBTQ community to Muslims to women to the Asian Pacific community. You know, we we had Holocaust camps in in San Francisco. Like this this runs deep in our country and I do hope that you all are able to hear these stories and have some healing, read Mary Trump's book, create a plan to move forward as a community and help change things. Every little bit is going to help moving forward to make a different path for this country. And I, I encourage any LGBTQ plus community member who was other than honorably discharged from military or otherwise general yep. before, after, during don't ask, don't tell that if you have symptoms of PTSD, that trauma of, of hiding who you are and the trauma of facing the consequences, if you did decide to come out, apply for that. Absolutely. Apply for that. Oh man. I know you're about to ask me if I have any final thoughts. I'm sending my love to the daily beans community. You know, these, the good news stories or anything submitted at the end, it's personal. It's personal to the listeners. It's, it's personal to you. And to share these stories with us, it, it brings us into your life and um, becomes personal to us. 
So I'm just, I'm literally sending a giant hug. I had a shitty day before we recorded this and I'm just sending a giant hug to the community. Let me hug you back. And, and for, for Jim to have to live with the thought that Sergeant H might have thought that he wrote that about, about him. Yeah. (sighs) Oh boy. Okay. All right. We are going to have a moment where we're going to, Bring it back in. All right. We're coming back. And uh, uh, watch a kitten video. Yeah. I'm going to tell you my favorite stock joke. My favorite. Actually, I'm going to tell you this. Okay. Ready? We got a joke. We have time, right? You're a little ahead on the yep. recording. Yep. Okay. Yep. Everyone, I didn't write this joke. It's one of my favorites, though. There's a penguin. He's driving through Arizona. I know you guys are like, are you kidding me right now? I'm not. We're going we're gonna to do this. There's a penguin driving through Arizona, and it's in the middle of the summer, and his car starts to have car trouble. And he's like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. So he pulls in, he finds a mechanic and he walks in. He's like, fella, can you help me? I'm a penguin. I'm in Phoenix. It's 118 degrees. I'd really like to get to somewhere cooler. And the guy said, I can fix it, but I got to go on my lunch break. Can you wait? And he's like, oh, fine. So this penguin starts to waddle around Phoenix and he's starting to just sweat and he passes an ice cream shop and he's like, oh, sweet relief. Penguin walks in, orders a bowl of vanilla ice cream, is sitting there. He looks down, he looks up, and he's like, oh, shit, it's after lunch. So finishes up, and he waddles back over to the mechanic, and he walks in the, you know, the, the garage, and the mechanic's not there. He says, hello? And the mechanic rolls out from underneath his car, and the, the penguin goes, well, what do you think? And the mechanic goes, oh, it just looks like you blew a seal. And the penguin goes, no, 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 it's just vanilla ice cream, I swear. <laughs> It's really, it's really one of my favorite jokes. <laughs> nice. Those are my final thoughts for today. Thank you. I needed that. No, no, no. It looks like you blew a seal. <laughs> well, I appreciate I appreciate you. <laughs> no, no, it's just an ice cream. That's good. It's a good street joke. Right? It's a good street joke. <sighs> That's what comedians call jokes that, you know, aren't. That we didn't write. Yeah. Street jokes. Like a guy walks into a bar. Okay. Exactly. All right, everybody. Until tomorrow, please, please, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.